Hello, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin, an inquisitive space where we explore topics like gaining wisdom, travel, yoga, meditation, dance, art, and following our soul-guided paths. I'm your host, Emily, from gettingintoit.com, and together we'll focus on enjoying, sharing, and interpreting our sacred adventures and how to embody these lessons in our daily lives. Let's begin. Sahana Babatu Sahano Bunaktu Sahaviriyan Kadava Vahai Tejasvi Nabadhi Tamastu Mavid Vishavahai mantra holds such a special place in my heart because it was sung at the beginning of any lesson, be it a theories, an anatomy, a posture class, a movement class, a pranayama, breathwork class, and each of the different ways the instructors sang it was so beautiful. So I, I wanted to share it with you. And then I also wanted to tell you the meaning of it, which is just completely beautiful. It's um, When we were learning it, I was told that it helped the teacher and the student to come together to bring the best out in everyone and to make the information learnable and teachable. So it is bringing harmony between teacher, student, and teaching. And so I have this... Um, little meaning I'm going to read to you, but it is, um, together we to move in our studies, the teacher and the student. Together may we relish our studies and the relationship between teacher and student. Together may we perform our studies with vigor and concentration. And may what has been studied by us be filled with the brilliance of understanding, of learning, of knowledge, and may it not give rise to hostility due to lack of understanding or the roles being played out here between the knowledge, the teacher, and the student. So may there be no animosity between us. We are all together on the path of learning. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti, which is Om Peace, Peace, Perfect Peace. Today I have a very special guest. I know in the um, opening, to this podcast, I say this is a place where we discuss things like yoga and meditation and dance and and how our lives' paths unfold. Um, and part of my life path included getting the opportunity to go study yoga in India. And I did my 200-hour yoga teacher training in Rishikesh back in about 2006. I meant to say 2016. And that is when I met Mimi, and she was one of my teachers, and she is such a beautiful, beautiful person with a beautiful message. She was such an inspiration to me in terms of integrating the um, biomechanics of yoga 
with the physical practice and also, you know, the yoga theories and how we approach um, awareness and meditation and putting it all together in terms of applying it to our lives, applying it to ourselves, applying um, what we know from the mat to our relationships, all of it. Uh, Mimi has been such a huge, huge, huge inspiration for me. So today, Mimi and I are going to talk a little bit about yoga, about um, yoga as a means of healing and self-awareness, and then how we bring that into our lives and into the world. I hope that you find this discussion as interesting as I did, and if afterward you feel inspired to work with Mimi, all of her links are in the show notes. So if you're thinking about doing your yoga 200 hour, 300 hour, Mimi is your lady. She is so conscientious of what she teaches and brings such a high level of understanding, uh, integration, awareness, and delivery that it is really something incredible. So here we go. Welcome Mimi Adyoba to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am so happy to have you here. Can you start by telling folks a little bit about yourself? Oh, I love it. It's an open-ended question. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about my yoga journey. So I uh, began practicing sun salutations from an early age when my mother introduced them to me. I was probably eight or nine years old because we also studied martial arts and kung fu that was such a hard style that my mom wanted us to have some more flow in our practice. And so she taught us this gentle flow of sun salutations. So I had been practicing in the vein of exercise and looking at it in terms of asana only, not knowing what asana was. Mm -hmm. I called the sun salutations yoga all my life until about 2013. Around that time, I... Um, found I was really ill and I had to have a life altering surgery and it just affected me psychologically and physically. And I realized that I was ill and I needed to heal myself. So I was in corporate America at that time and decided I'm going to go on this journey for healing. And it involved walking, you know, to get my cardio, um, surfing <laughs> to get my water and then yoga to get my air. And it was my own version of eat, pray, love. And that was <laughs> 2013, my road to recovery. So the uh, last part of it, the uh, yoga, I, I, I really started to dive deeper into, and that was 2013, what is yoga? And it was like the very beginning of an awareness. I started understanding it at a different level of where I was before with just the sun salutations. It would be teaching in Atlanta for the next three years that made me realize there's so much more here that I really don't understand and I really wanted to understand. So I did my 200 hour in Costa Rica. And at the time it occurred to me how odd that I was doing this, this level of un an undertaking in a Spanish speaking country. The Spanish speaking was because it was a Spanish theme recovery. There was Spain and then, and then Costa Rica. So I was just practicing my Spanish. And I realized I should do this in it, where it all started in the motherland for this discipline. So mm -hmm. in 2016, I did that. I went to India and I immersed myself in a, six-week, 300-hour yoga teacher training at Rishikesh Yogi. And that's when I felt like the seed had been planted and it had barely started to germinate and crack open when the course ended. And I was like, I started to have this understanding at a new level. I was just hungry for more, like that little bird in the bird's nest with its beak wide open. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And it was time for me to go. 
So I went to my teacher at the time, Roshanser, and I said, I would love to stay and continue to learn and help and contribute in some way. Maybe I can teach English as a second language to the staff so they can have better interactions with Westerners. And he was like, okay, you can stay. And so that was August of 2016. And uh, September, he told me, I need you to teach anatomy and physiology to the 300 hour course. So I went right into the deep end and really took a really deep dive to tie in what anatomy and physiology of yoga was for the students. And that's kind of where I started blossoming in yoga, really starting to understand it from a new perspective. That's incredible because 2016 is when you and I met. <laughs> and yes. so like hearing this and then piecing together, like the fact that that's, I guess, like you started teaching literally when I showed up as a student, which is kind of, uh, which is really interesting. So you got into the anatomy and physiology, you started blooming as a teacher. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what you're doing now? Yes. So um, historically, my whole background has been based in the sciences. Um, my undergraduate studies were biochemistry, and I studied at graduate level in microbiology and immunobiology. And then when I went into corporate, uh, the work that I was doing there was training in the various um, uh, disease states for the various human organ systems. So I had given that as my background to Roshan, sir. And he said, okay, great. That's why he gave me the role of anatomy and physiology. I knew the organ systems well enough to convey that. And then my yoga practice had started getting substantial. So I took that and started running with that and teaching anatomy and physiology. And eventually they were like, well, you teach an asana class. And I felt a little bit hesitant to do that because I thought people are coming to India not for an African-American female to teach them uh, asana. But my students loved the classes because the way I tied in anatomy and physiology and alignment, misalignments and the overall effect with the organ systems. So eventually I started having the idea, why don't I do retreats? And I went to Roshanser and I said, I have an idea. I want to do retreats. And he told me, no, <laughs> you can if you want to, but I will support you if you open a school instead. And I was like, a school? Who am I to open a school? And he blessed it and said, go forth and do it. And I said, okay, whatever you say, you seem to get a handle on this and know what you're talking about. So another dear friend and teacher of mine, and I had collaborated quite a bit because she kind of groomed me and helped me to understand the Rishikesh Yoga Peak system and of teaching. Uh -huh. And uh, she and I, I told her what his direction was and she said, great, let's do it. So we co-founded Svadhyaya Yoga School, and that was in 2017. We started coming up with the idea, got some direction that I should do it in Indonesia. And so she and I started laying the, the ground for that. As a sales trainer at Procter & Gamble, one of the crucible roles was curriculum design and development. So I had this skill set, and I started applying it. In India, everything is written on whiteboards, and I took all of my notes, and I started creating slides and presentations because... In the Procter & Gamble, which is where I came from, culture, we're all about everything is in a slide and everything is a presentation. <laughs> <laughs> so I, started, yes. I did what I knew to do. And before I realized it, I had packaged something pretty phenomenal. And it was unique to our school. It was just these slides and this conversation. And then eventually what grew from there was a playbook based off of the slides. It was very interactive. 
And um, we started leading our yoga teacher training courses. We originally had planned to do it in October in Indonesia, but October became November. Uh, so we started an idea with September because of the monsoon season. And eventually we landed on November and it had been November every year, once a year since 2017. But in 2019, um, after, when I was getting ready to do my, after my second course, um, it's not year round, it's just once a year. It was once a year up until 2019. I shared with a past friend and colleague who also studied with me in Costa Rica, the idea for doing more courses. And she aligned with doing them three to four times a year in Indonesia. And we began partnering. And that's where Well Daily came in in 2019. And so beginning in 2019, we started doing three courses. And I had in the back of my mind, the content and the curriculum being designed and developed for the 300 hour course. So in the, in January, March of this year, sorry, February of this year, we launched the first 300 hour course being taught by uh, Svajaya Yoga School. Slides with, with manuals and content, interactive information. The classes are very dynamic and interactive. The theoretical classes, the physical classes with the asana are already you know, interactive and dynamic, but to make theory something people want to sit and watch and observe and listen to and become engaged with is tapping into adult learning principles, which is really my wheelhouse. So it was mm -hmm. really fun and engaging and people didn't walk away glassy eyed. Like when I first started teaching anatomy and physiology in India using the whiteboard. So it's been evolving over the years and now we're developing an online content for August and this is a first online course, 100% online for 200-hour training. And we still have our face-to-face -face destination courses in 2021, January, February, and March. But this year with COVID and everything that's escalating in the world today, mm -hmm. uh, we just had to take a look at our November course and decide whether or not we were going to move forward with it or do it online. And since the option was presented to us to do it online, we, could, we did it. And it's a lot of pivoting. I got to tell you, it's like a, a learning curve that's involved with, but I love to study. That's what the name of the school means. Svadhyaya means self-inquiry, self-study. So I'm constantly studying something new. That's, oh my gosh, there's so much here. <laughs> so if I'm looking at it, what you're saying is growing up, you always had like a very physically active life and it was, um, an injury that essentially really brought you to yoga and yoga practice. And then it was like going deeper into the practice that helped you to, uh, or that kind of drove you to, to teaching it. Yes. Yes. You know, they say that the best way to learn something, you're a professor. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just congeals itself. It just becomes a lifestyle. And that's what happened for me. It's there's a phrase that yoga is the art of living, and mm -hmm. it really started taking on new depth and new meaning for me when I really started teaching it. I understood it um, anew from a new lens. And yes, it was, um, I don't mind going on and saying what it was, but I ended up having uh, masses, fibroid masses on my uterus. Mm -hmm. and, um, I had tried healing them before when I was in a less stressful environment, but my, my lifetime passions and behaviors and aggressive tendencies 
created these fibroids on my uterus in a, in a circumstance where I couldn't heal it. And the stress was so high in the role that I was in. I was manager for a pharmaceutical company for the sales group in a region of the U S and it had compounded itself. I was very stressed out, very type a, very aggressive personality. And all this energy was just building around these masses in my in my uterus. So um, eventually it caused me to start passing out and hemorrhaging significantly. And the doctors told me the impact on my heart was that I was having mini strokes. And if I didn't have a hysterectomy that I would die. So that was the journey for healing. And that's what precipitated me leaving pharma and going the yogic path. And it was polar opposite, really stress-filled environment to uh, Zen seeking peace, balance, meditative (laughs) lifestyle. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much right here. So actually I, I feel like you and I have had a very similar discussion to this before because I also had polyps, uterine polyps that I, I do definitely see as connected to like holding too much, like in terms of really trying to make something happen like really trying to create something and like building the tension and the clinging around that. And um, so like one of the things that made me feel so connected to you as an instructor was like the willingness to share your story and to talk about like how going into yoga and going into self-study has brought you like a profound degree of healing. So how did you get from, I guess my, my big question is, it sounds like, so you studied microbiology at the university. Um, and then you were working for a pharmaceutical company and then you got this diagnosis and like, what happened? You said to yourself, like, I'm, I'm going to heal this. I'm going to go study yoga. Like what, what was the steps or what was the process there for, for people who may be listening to this for the first time, like hearing someone say that yoga and, um, relaxation and meditation do have positive effects on the body. Can you kind of walk us through like how, how you addressed all of this? Yes. At the heart, I knew how to heal myself, even in the midst of all the choices that I was making as a district sales manager, I knew what I needed to do in order to heal myself. I had studied naturology and um, which is a natural health and healing from a theological perspective and had dived deep into energy healing. I understood that the fibroids and the, the, polyps were attachment. I was holding on to things. I even had knots in my shoulders that were just yep. like a clear outcry saying, Mimi, you really are holding on to things. Mm-hmm. And I identified as so self-identified with my position, my status in my car and my house as those things being me. And on the path of yoga, I realized how mired I was in this confused perspective. And the realization was there that those are not me that is not the self. And if I want to learn to love the self in a parigraha, I need to learn how to release and practice non-attachment. So the practice of yoga really helped to, um, uh, to clear away a lot of the cobwebs and the tint in my glasses and the smear and the paint that was covering my lens. And I started cleaning the windows basically of my perceptions so that I could see things more clearly. In order to be successful in pharma, I I painted the windows deliberately. I painted the windows of my lenses deliberately so that I could be the best at what I was doing, so that I could make money. 
But when I realized that <clears throat> I really, I had a really huge epiphany one time after, soon after I left pharmaceuticals, a colleague of mine called me and said, hey, you know, so-and-so? And I was like, yeah, he was another district sales manager working in a different um, district uh, region. She said they found him dead in his hotel room at one of the plan of action meetings and a POA meeting is where all the sales reps come together. Mm -hmm. And he had been in there for two days and nobody had, he had gone unnoticed. Wow. That is, that is me. If I continue to ignore what I know I need to do. And I feel like our body gives us signals. It's like Mm. you need to stop doing what you're doing. And that those fibroids were an alarm bell going off. And I could, I just kept hitting these snooze on the alarm. <laughs> like, ah, you know, I'm fine. I got this. Cause I was so focused on money being the end all be all of everything. But when that colleague of mine died in his hotel room, I realized something huge. And that is we could spend a lifetime chasing after money, creating these illnesses that form the foundation of eventually death. But when we end up retiring with all our money, all that money will serve to do is to pay for the illnesses, mm-hmm. for our treatment, for our surgeries. And we've accumulated and amassed all this fortune and these houses and things, these attachments, so that we can do what with them? Store our furniture. Because a house at the time was just storage for me when I was in India. And I was thinking about it in terms of, but it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And I realized at the fundamental level, when I started releasing the the physical, the material things, that there was so much more underlying that. That was the cause of the uterus. That was the cause of the tension knots. There were emotions and certain energies that I was attaching to. But the material things were obfuscating. They were blocking my understanding that I have these deep-seated resentments, these anger, this anxiety, this fear, fear of being accepted, fear of being loved. And those are the real things that I needed to work towards by releasing the physical things. So releasing the job was the first thing. Then the weight started coming off because I had started gaining weight because I wasn't doing what I knew I needed to do. Then I started releasing the material things, the house, the car, the sofas, everything I, I self-identified with. Then the emotions and the, uh, the, the behaviors and stuff. I was like, oh my gosh. I allowed these behaviors, these thoughts to be what I said was me and it's not me. So it, that transition became like a natural progress into like understanding myself, like what, why am I doing this? And even as I started becoming aware of my thoughts, my emotions, I started transitioning from uh, yoga, yoga, asana as yoga as asana or asana as yoga to understanding how the growth comes from healing relationships with others, attaining self-discipline, practicing sense withdrawal and breathing practices, focusing, concentrating. And now I'm in that stage where yoga for me is meditation. The Mm -hmm. asana got me to the place where I can sit in sukhasana, you know, seated Mm -hmm. position for an hour and now the mind is starting to slow down more and more. And I get it now. It's, it's so genius. Yoga is so genius that I will be on this path for a while. <laughs> figuring me out. Figuring me out. Understanding and loving me. Because I have a lot I still need to work through, you know? Oh, my gosh. All of us. I, 
I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about it this way. Um, when you were talking about everything that you released, like first you released the job, then the weight came off your body, but then the heaviness of the material belongings you had packed around yourself came off too. And then you like let go of the heaviness of the emotional aspects and you let go of the heaviness of the clinging to the physical world. And then you saw like the possibility of knowing yourself because it's kind of something that like, when I think about how meditation and how being on a spiritual path lets me, gives me access to greater parts of myself, it, it is literally like you think you know yourself and then you learn something new. It is a continual path and yoga definitely gets you there for sure. Yeah, constant and never ending improvement. So I just had this conversation with a colleague of mine and, um, there was a young woman and she was talking about the monotony of yoga. And for me, I don't think it will ever get monotonous because I myself am not. I am such a complex organism that I will constantly be finding subtle nuances that shift my relationships with others, that impact my relationship with my son, that impact how I relate to myself or my worldview. Like, for example, what's going on in the world today with COVID-19, the realization that the fear is what is moving people to make irrational choices and that the fear is being you pushed. It's, it's, it's being emphasized in today's society and that that's not the way. I could, I could sense right away just from the work that I'm doing that that's intentional. This fear is being promulgated is a way of life. So people are more likely to absorb a suggestion and not question. And in yoga, we teach people to question everything. Even as the philosopher is sitting there teaching you about the philosophy, yoga philosophy, the student is invited to inquire and ask and probe deeper. And so I I tell my students, I tell my friends and family, don't stop asking questions. Don't accept everything blindly ask questions because I myself am asking those questions of myself. Why, mm-hmm. am I, why do I have this tendency? Why am I reacting this way? What is, who does this serve? Yes. I think a big part of COVID-19, at least for me, is I, I think it's, I, and I hope some people are waking up to the idea that like personal responsibility is so huge in terms of, have you seen those videos of people just throwing absolute hissy fits about wearing a mask in public? And they are literally blaming everyone else for their like rage or for their feeling of confinement because Mm -hmm. of the mask. And so they're reacting this way versus looking at like, okay, there's a law, you have to wear a mask. Fine. The government says I have to wear a mask. I'm going to wear the mask. If I'm feeling anxiety about it, do I blame the government or do I look at myself, find the reasons why I'm having the anxiety and then address them? Like, and Mm -hmm. in one situation, I have the power and in another situation, someone else has the power. And so Mm -hmm. it kind of like, I'm seeing it a lot, like just a lot of people not understanding that they are (laughs) self-sovereign, but it's. I think this is a learned thing because prior to yoga and prior to my spiritual path, and I don't know if you felt this way too, like I didn't understand that when my emotions were arising, that I, I had, 
I was the source of them. And then therefore as the source, I am the only one who can like actually resolve them. Exactly. That's the whole point is that anytime we start ascribing a particular emotion or somebody, something to somebody else, then we're saying I'm a victim. Mm-hmm. And when we say I am responsible for how I am feeling, then you realize you are the victor. It goes back to this, this, I, I don't know if I heard it or if I created it myself, but I decided I would be my own knight in shining armor, not waiting on somebody else to give me permission to be strong, to be fearless, to be self-governed, to think for myself, to, to love myself enough, to understand what the fear is. Why is that fear rising? Why is it coming up? Am I feeling like I'm losing um, autonomy? Am I feeling like I'm losing control over my own life? What, what is that fear? And then saying, do I accept it in? Because mm-hmm. you are responsible for who or what you allow in emotionally. To, it's like seeds. You have a garden and you want to plant seeds. You choose to plant those seeds. If you are allowing somebody else to plant in your garden, <laughs> that's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. The mind being the garden. Yeah. So, you know, you choose what's growing in there. And, and it will grow. It will grow magnificent, fruitful. If you're choosing mango trees, you're going to grow a whole orchard of them. If you're choosing neem, you'll see that grow and proliferate too. And you've probably tasted neem before. I have, yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a neem orchard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's so true. And it's so incredible. So, actually, I'm curious... Um, So I think a lot of people get into yoga and they take a class and the class maybe has some pranayama, some breath work in it and um, asana, which are the poses. And then a lot of people will leave or some people I've experienced will leave during shavasana, um, final resting pose. And if you try and incorporate any kind of meditation, a lot of times, not always, but sometimes people will have a hard time with it. So I'm curious when you're teaching yoga, how do you bridge or how do you help people understand like the theories like apaigraha and samadhi, um, ahimsa, and then how do you weave those into like a meditation practice for people or like a journal practice? How do you help people apply those to, to the like experience of yoga as we kind of know it? I really appreciate the lessons that I am gathering from teaching in the southern part of the United States. (laughs) (laughs) I've taught in Kentucky, so that's why I'm cackling. (laughs) My students hold me accountable for still attaining that level of uh, honoring the yogic traditions while honoring the southern traditions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm constantly being challenged to find new ways to introduce meditation without it sounding like meditation. Because if you know anything about Bible thumpers, they're like, um, you're not supposed to be listening to your own. You're not supposed to be listening to silence. You're supposed to be listening to the sound, the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but to sit and listen to the breath is an easier concept to embrace. To observe the breath and to see or experience internally how it feels. Can you become aware of the sensation of the breath as it is coming in? 
Are you aware of the hairs on the upper lip, the hairs in the nostrils with the inhale and the direction of the flow of the breath and on the exhale? So I've been constantly working on different ways to have the student have the experience versus focusing on we're doing pranayama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of saying practice aparigraha, I have them bring their awareness to wherever the tension exists in the body. Just go to that place and tense up the muscle, make it stronger, like you're making a, a like you're um, flexing your biceps. And now feel it relax and let it go. And this is the awareness and the sense withdrawal. So we have different ways of just like helping the student calm the mind by observing simple instructions and simple cues. And I got that, I got that um, as feedback from one of my, one of my teachers. She is also a student in a class and she, she teaches a very unique style of yoga where it's dance and for partners and she oh, I love brings it. motion into it. So she was telling me what are some really nice ways to be subtle, but still understanding from the level. And that's what happens when you start really diving deep into your yoga understanding and, and the fullness of what yoga offers. You don't have to use the Sanskrit terms with somebody who is not ready to receive it. When I first started teaching in Atlanta in 2013, 2014, beginning of the year, I would use the Sanskrit terms and I would just pepper it throughout. So I'd say, come into chair pose, bend the knees, tuck the tailbone, press your hips back and down, hover over your knees stacked up over your ankles, Utkatasana. And I had a student who came to me after the class and said, why do you keep saying those Sanskrit terms? And I was like, without even skipping a beat, because I'm a teacher. I'm I'm teaching you something new. I'm teaching you a language. (laughs) Yeah. I love the words too. Like the the Sanskrit names and the way that they sound. Yeah. I love it. I think it adds depth to a Westerner's approach to teaching. And the funny thing is I say that because my uh, teachers in India, they rarely use the Sanskrit terms because the Westerners' minds are so boggled by them (laughs) and the (laughs) accent. So I asked them, you don't use a lot of the Sanskrit terms. They were like, no, I get too much pushback. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually um, a little bit surprised by that. And actually the group that I had uh, when I went through yoga teacher training in India at the place that you were teaching at, um, my group was primarily um, Indian. And there there were three of us who were not and so I think that that made it a little bit maybe different for, for us. But I did notice, like, you're here in India studying yoga. Why would you expect it to be in English? Wouldn't you want it to be in Sanskrit? <laughs> but Go to India for English. <laughs> yeah, that, like, boggled me a little bit. But no one, no one in my group um, had that kind of approach. So I feel really thankful for that. But, yeah, I did... I do notice a little bit of like resistance, but I think that that's also part of human nature is to, to question things that are new to us or different and to initially like, it's not even a rejection to initially notice difference 
and Mm -hmm. then to soften around it. So that's interesting. Okay. Um, Yeah, I have a couple other questions that I want to make sure we get to. Actually, I have a lot of questions. (laughs) It's it's so inspiring to hear how yoga helps people on their paths. What do you consider to be the greatest gifts of your practice? Um, I think for me, the attainment, the realization of um, the mind, the overactive, how overactive my mind is. My mind starts telling me stories. And I don't know if you do that. I'm, I'm probably the only one in oh, the yeah. world. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> my mind starts telling me stories. And then I start thinking the stories are true. And it, they're not. They're absolutely not. It's stories about myself, stories about the world around me. This is the before yoga practice mind. The greatest gift yoga has given to me is to understand that my mind is telling a story and it's just telling a story that I don't need to subscribe to the story. It's just entertaining itself because I learned how to observe it before I acted and reacted on it. I don't know if it was because of hormones and then they took out the uterus and there's no hormones anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it was chemical imbalance, but after (laughs) it coincides with my yogic path and my yogic journey and the cultivation of the awareness and observation of the mind. And at first when I was doing yoga practice, because I I was going to hot yoga when I was still working in pharma. When I lived in Seattle, it was so cold, I would go practice hot yoga. And I was hearing them say things. And I just still, it was just a catchphrase for me, observe your breath, observe your mind. I was like, how do you observe your mind? (laughs) (laughs) No, I get it. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) And that has been the hugest gift, the hugest understanding. And I used to think, I used to blame. That was that person, that person did this. I don't like the way that person. Now I accept responsibility. I'm like, I'm showing up. I'm showing up this way. Okay, I can work on this. I'll do me. Let that person deal with what they got to deal with. Not my responsibility, but I am responsible for how I'm showing up in the circumstance. (laughs) A hundred percent. Actually, I think when they talk about freedom, like yoga giving you freedom and meditation giving you freedom, that is the freedom is, is when you can be in a situation where you're triggered and you're like, fear arises, agitation arises, anger arises, and then you choose to deal with it from a compassionate place instead of a reactive place. That is, that is the most like freeing thing I think that has ever been gifted to me from my meditation practice. And they say yoga is about self-discipline towards self-liberation, mm. realization, and then self-liberation. And I, I'm, it just starts making sense, you know, it yep. makes sense. So yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. That's beautiful. So were there any times on your journey, you can either answer this as life journey or yoga journey, when you worried that other people wouldn't understand you? And we've touched on this with talking to students about certain things, but just you can, again, answer it in general. And then how did you move through those fears or those worries to become who you are now? I never had any worry that other people wouldn't understand me. I have accepted it. Uh, my, it's been a lifetime experience for me that people 
don't understand me. So I, I have gotten a chance to accept it from a very early age. And it's, it's, it can be in communication. It can be in thought. I'm an enigma and I get it. Men and what I've done, how I move through it is I don't worry about it. I do become extremely joyous and grateful when I attract other people who are in my tribe. And we mm-hmm. know each other when we see each other. Mm-hmm. else I practice tolerance and compassion and patience for. And then when I see my tribe, I'm just so overjoyed. I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the oddities and the weirds and the freaks and the lovers and the, you know, I'm like, okay, this is who I, that's where I thrive. So everybody else, I'm just patient and tolerant, accepting. I don't pretend to be anything that I'm not. I'm still me. It's just, you know, I let them be making their comment. I don't wear it on. I don't wear on their judgments. You're You're a strange thinker. I accept it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't understand me. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people run into that when they, when they decide something like I'm going to go get my yoga teacher training in India. I know personally, I have family members or people in my life who are like, what are you doing? Like you you're a professor. Like you already have a career. Why are you doing this? (laughs) And so like, it's interesting. I mean, I am from the perspective of an artist. So I was already kind of weird. And it sounds like you're saying your family already sort of saw you as weird, but you had a career, right? Like, so when you, when you quit that and you decided to devote your life to self-knowledge and, and yoga practice and teaching others, uh, like, did anyone have a reaction that you kind of had to like step back and say, no, I'm okay. I, I love myself. I love them. They can have their thing. I can have my thing. My friends, my real friends, not air quote friends yep. from, from corporate. They, they said something you wouldn't have expected them to say. They would, they said, you are courageous. That's wow. amazing. Um, when I was an actor, so before all of this, I was an actor. In Wait, what? I know. <laughs> I had this one friend who said, Mimi, you have no idea how strange things are that come out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have some idea. It was like stuff that is over the layman's head, the concepts of some of these things. And even now, the deeper I dive into yoga, I realize that I grew up in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Conversations that I have are not things that are easily accessible to the people who I went to school with, my high school, my elementary, my college, even. I'm like, well, got it. I understand. It's not, it's not for, uh, well, it is for everybody. I think yoga is for everybody, but there's just a, a closed, guarded, definitive way of interacting that some people choose to express themselves in their lives with. And uh, I have chosen something different. And so because I chose something different, I can't judge them for what they're choosing. I accept them for what they're choosing too, because their world makes sense through that lens. I can imagine how topsy-turvy it would be if they took a walk in my shoes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. What you just said helped me actually have have a little bit of a moment uh, when you said the things that I talk about or the concepts that I'm, you know, engaging with them and are not easily accessible to them. Like, and so instead of having that like fear of being judged or like fear of like being over someone's head or not being able to interact with them, you could just sort of 
be like, oh, I just touched on something that is not easily accessible for you. So I'll just hold us both in compassion and we'll, you know, do something else. Yeah. A lot of these life lessons I got from movies, if you can believe it. I watched this movie, Apocalypto with Mel Gibson. Uh You you know what I'm talking about. Their whole world is absorbed by tribe and slave and running away. And at the end, there's a scene where the guy is running away. He's trying to run back to his tribe and he's being chased by these guys from the Mayan village who want to put him back in slavery. And they run to the shore and they stop dead in their tracks because now they're being greeted with something they've never seen before. (laughs) It's paralyzing. It's crippling. And it's a ship on the open sea. And they're like crippled by it. And that's kind of how I imagine some of the information I share with people being received. (laughs) Like, what the blank? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, overwhelming. It's like a tidal wave. What are you talking about? Okay, that's my cue. (laughs) (laughs) Roll the ship back. (laughs) Approach more slowly. (laughs) In my family, you were asking, how did my friends uh, accept it or how did they respond to it? My family, they had a completely different response that you probably wouldn't um, expect. So when I went to India, I went with the understanding as I communicated to my friends that I'd be back to my family, that I'd be back after 42 days, because that's how long the training was. But for me, it it was a sapling. I was a seedling turning into a sapling at the time I was, it was, I was ready. I was supposed to come home according to my agreement. And I couldn't, I just, my, every fiber of my being was telling me, you can't leave right now. It's like taking a a seedling and transplanting it before it's gotten its roots. And it's not going to, it's not going to hold. The plant won't grow. If I uprooted it from India and planted it in the U.S. because mm-hmm. the, it just started breaking out of the seed. And if I did that, I would have lost everything. I would have gotten to a shallower part in my, in my understanding of things. And I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to be able to plant a tree, not a sapling that, didn't, that had weak roots in the U.S. So when I told my family members that I was going to stay a little longer than 42 days, which ended up being like six months, <laughs> I was with so much resistance and so many accusations. You don't honor your agreements. And you, <laughs> yep. We need you here. You have a responsibility. Yep. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I think and no. <laughs> I've upset a few people by choosing me first in that circumstance. Yep. That's, that is brave to be able to do yeah. that. <laughs> so... I'm glad that you mentioned India. I'm wondering like what ways has travel, like actual travel um, and adventures sort of in terms of, you know, going places enhanced your understanding of yourself your or your life philosophy or even yoga? Um, <clears throat> when, when we think about growing up in the United States, we have so many benefits that we have accessible to us many of us don't realize that we also have entitlement and Mm. expectation. And we tend to take and carry that badge with us egoically into other circumstances, other countries, other cultures. So travel has allowed me to be much more humble and appreciative of the world around me with less of a 
single focused, single self-centered kind of worldview. And so when I have interactions, when I come back to the U.S., I can have more patience for my fellow countrymen, my family members, my friends, for what they don't know, what they don't mm. understand. And even where we, we take things for granted, I can approach, I, for me, in a healthier manner and have more gratitude for those things. <laughs> it can be something as simple as a washing machine. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and not having to do it in a bucket. <laughs> I'm so grateful. And it just amplifies all of my gratitude. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know the first time I washed my clothes after doing bucket loads or having, you know, people wash them in the river. Um, when I put it in the washer and it came out and it was so clean and it smelled like detergent, which is probably not a good thing for it to smell like, but <laughs> oh, it's so lovely. And the fabrics have a different feel. on your bed and just rolling it and um, <laughs> just smell it. <laughs> oh my gosh, washing machines. Yes. Oh, my bed. Oh my God. Uh, yep. And I, and I realized my attachment with these things. So I keep on working on releasing them. But when I came from India after those several months and I lay in a bed, I started to cry. Yes. I was so happy. I was like, yes, a bed without, you know, you know how things are in India. I do. I do. I had this one experience once where I, 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 was sleeping and I kept hearing this weird sound. And the next day I woke up and I looked and my pillow was stuffed with newspaper. Yes. Yes. And I was like, it's more hygienic than the pillows. The pillows get mold and then they just keep reusing the pillows with the mold because there's nothing they they can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was crunchy and (laughs) it it does really make you like when you come back, like, I think the things that I missed were the things that are like creature comforts, like physical comforts, like air conditioning and the bed and stuff. But the, to get the culture, you know, you have to have the experience. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm curious also, I guess you're doing yoga teacher trainings in, in different countries and how do you sort of see like a retreat um, or being sort of outside of your normal life, helping you to have realizations that you then bring back into your, you know, normal everyday life. Our students share this with us time and time again, how it refreshes the student's perspective. And like we were just talking about how much more grateful mm. and iterate people can be after they come back, because it's like they've taken a bath. And they've bathed themselves emotionally, mentally, spirit. They've cleaned off a lot of the layers of, of judgment and perceptions and wiped their lenses clean. So they're refreshed. Like, you know how you dive into a lake on a hot summer's day or you take a nice shower after you've gone out and been working in the sun? You mm-hmm. just come out feeling refreshed. That's kind of what the perspective is after you do this mind washing, uh, body washing, soul washing, spirit washing, understanding. And the students 
and for me too, are constantly complimenting how it is a transformational experience. So much so, it sounds like a catchphrase. You're going to have a transformational experience this next <laughs> 10 years. Guaranteed. Everybody says it because you do. And the other thing it helps to do is you're around other people who are searching, who are whose mindset is in a place for accepting and patience and tolerance and compassion and love and peace. They're looking for those and how to manifest that and create it in their lives. And that's why they're there. And they're looking for how to show others how to do it too. And yoga is comprehensive enough that it you get access to that. It's like you're open. It's like you go into the kitchen and you're looking for a can of beans. You open the door and the can of beans is on the shelf. Yoga is the door for you to get your can of beans. Whatever it is that you're looking for, <laughs> it's there. You just open the door and you see it's there. And a lot of this has to do with who we are and how we show up in life. And a lot of times, uh, I can't tell you how these transformational experiences translate for different people, but often it's there overflowing with love and appreciation and curiosity, ready and, and open to understanding and accepting others. And uh, we think in terms of accepting others, like when we travel, we're thinking in terms of accepting others from different cultures. But surprisingly, a lot of this acceptance is there being able to now see family members as they are and accept your mother or father who's too doting and too judgmental or a husband who's too protective and too over, over demanding or a child who's demanding too many things. They start to accept the relationships and the people in the relationships that they've, and they accept their responsibility for having chosen these relationships and mm. co-created these relationships. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. I told you earlier for myself, like I cleaned my glasses. I cleaned the windows of my perception through this practice. And that's what other people are doing too, in their own way. Oh, oh that's so beautiful. I, it ties in with the next question I have for you, which might end up being kind of a big question, but what ways do you see yoga helping us to craft a like new world or a post-quarantine world or helping us understand the big issues that are facing us socially today? Well, you know, um, that is why I love what I do because I get to live it. And mm -hmm. when I'm back home and I'm, I am away from it, I, I do whatever I can to stay mentally in it, like constantly creating curriculum, constantly creating courses. But when I actually go to what it is that I've created, when I go to a yoga teacher training course, or when I go to a retreat, I, I've created it now for others. And then I get to reap the benefit of it. And so what I think yoga can provide for people um, during COVID-19 and post is that if a student is seeking and steps on the path, I'm so grateful to know that it's like I'm a tree and they're a seed and I'm pollinating the world with more of these seeds. So it's multiplying the efforts. So what my teacher passed on to me, I get to pass on to somebody else. And those who are taking up, taking it in and understanding it become the light that the world so desperately needs right now. And they start doing it too. It proliferates. Mm. It proliferates and it's just so cool. I once used to have 
certain animosity towards Donald Trump and called him names and stuff at the beginning of his election. And I came to the realization that if it wasn't for what I associated with the dark at the time, if it wasn't for the dark, there wouldn't be more light warriors, more light energy popping up in the world in response to that. So now I start realizing that the things in the world that we have a disagreement with that we may not immediately be attracted to inspire the other, the alternative to rise up. And so that's kind of what I see with COVID-19 more and more. If the person is in fear, you see more and more person who are in love and in compassion and in peace, holding the space. And it's the yin and the yang. It's the balance of the universe. And it's the cosmic dance, the cosmic universal dance. Yeah. Without the dark, no light. I think. Oh, are you still there? Here. Yes. Oh, cool. I'm... I, I saw your microphone looking like it was making sound, but I couldn't hear you. <laughs> um, it's huge. Donald Trump. Well, speaking of knowing yourself, it's almost like if you, if you don't know yourself, you don't know that there's something there that needs to be cleared or something there that needs to be worked on. And I yeah. think that he has brought so much visibility to the things that America needs to know about itself so that change can occur. Yeah. As horrible as it is to look in the mirror like this. <laughs> It's painful, isn't it? It is very painful. It is so painful. And I'm sure as a a person of color that you've had like a lot of experiences and we're all being called to do more and to uh, step into the change that we want to see in the world. Yeah. And so it's like, I kind of am simultaneously thankful for him, but also I at least in my belief system with meditation, I personally don't want to live in hate. It's not something that I enjoy, (laughs) but also it's not something that I think is good for the soul. Um, But also I I don't allow, um, I compassionately do not allow bad things to continue happening in my life where I can stop them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's one thing to be like, okay, you know, this is happening. And as a society where we're dealing with racism and white supremacy and, and all of that, and also classism and also sexism with me too. And we're all having conversations about them, but it's, it's important also to then clear them and to not allow them to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I that was far with conversations so uh, what kinds of remedial steps and actions are being put into place and accountabilities because mm. you can talk and if you ever notice anything about politicians filibustering is their strong suit <laughs> I can, I'm sure they can filibuster for the next 125 years and continue on past mm-hmm. the torch until some accountability processes are put into place to hold people accountability. And, you know, um, my brother said it so nicely that if a person can't govern themselves then they need to be governed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. But ideally people would have self-governance and, and, and start accepting responsibility for how they're showing up. And that's where I think yoga really fits in. It's like, 
It is um, a mirror. Like you said, it's really hard to look at yourself. It is a mirror. And that's the practice. That's the work. Look at yourself. We look at ourselves regularly, the yoga practitioner, the one who's serious about their yoga, who understands yoga is more than just asana. Mm -hmm. Really, we take a cold, hard look at ourselves regularly. How am I showing up in this picture? How am I contributing? Am I contributing effectively towards humanity? And that's the challenge. For sure. But that's the beautiful thing about yoga is it gives us the tools to do that too. It, it gives us the meditations to help us be brave as we step into the mirror. <laughs> and then it, it, give, it gives us the pause so that we learn how to self-address and we're not reacting or, you know, we're showing up and we're responding, not reacting. That sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. So what do you typically see budding? So you're working mostly with yoga teachers, right? People who are going deep, deep into practice, who are learning how to teach it. What are some of the things that you see new yoga teachers struggling with? And what's one thing that you wish you knew starting out? Um, yes, to answer your question, I do work primarily with teachers, but I have been invited to work with um, people who just want drop-in classes, and Ooh. we'll do that on a rare, rare occasion if it's not taking me away from the work, which is creating other, duplicating myself, replicating myself. <laughs> <laughs> a worthy cause if I ever heard one. <laughs> So what I see um, people, teachers struggling with when they do step out of, of the nest, so to speak, is um, finding their voice. And it's a really big part of our yoga teacher training that we have the students actually start thinking about in the last couple of weeks before they head back out into the world. It came up a lot in India and we didn't have the tools to address it at the time. But after um, years of meditation, I started to understand what we can offer the students to help them with that. So finding their voice, finding their niche, identifying how they're going to share that information, we actually address during the final week of training. And we have open discussions. And what I realized is that a student doesn't argue with their own knowledge, with their own answer. So we do roundtables and open discussions where the students are talking to each other and it becomes something of a think tank. So Ooh. rather than me spoon feeding them, how do you get past this obstacle? How do you find your niche? How do you find, I give them some guidance and my, co my collaborator, my co-teacher, Brianna also does this very effectively. Give them some ideas from our perspective and then inspire and encourage and hold a space for them to think tank their way, envision like we were talking about earlier, manifest that. If you see something that you know can use work or be modified, how can it be modified? What do you have in your tool basket right now that you can pull out and address? And if you don't have it in your tool basket, what skill set do you need to cultivate to create mm -hmm. the possibility for you to do just that? Because if we spend our life, and this is something that my teacher taught me so well, I think it's called the Ziegernack principle in, in psychology. If we spend our life giving the student the entire answer, then they'll continue to come back to the teacher for the answers. When we have the innate understanding within us, yep. but if we teach the student how to identify the answer, then we have a teacher. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Actually, what you just described is so much, uh, I, I got a coaching certificate too. Um, it is so much what we do with people because you don't want to create someone, I, I think as a coach or, or a teacher, I don't want to create dependency. I want to create independence and creative thinking because someone's answer to their own life is going to be so much greater than my answer to their life because yeah. I'm not living in it. And it's not my inspiration. It's not my divine calling. But if I can teach you to listen to yours, then you're going to be so much greater than what I could teach you to be if I was teaching you to be me, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, how to see signs, how to identify, how to listen, how to hear when the answer comes. All those are within us, but that's not what we're taught in college. Nope. We're just not taught how to do that. <laughs> so why not learn it here? And that's yeah. what, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Well, that's incredible that you're also encouraging students to find their niche and their voice and and to like, be not practical, but how to be in the world as a yoga instructor contributing to society. Uh, and, and then we have accountability groups after. So we have a continuing, it's kind of like continuing, ed a continuing education, but it's not a continuing education credit. But there's follow up and continuum and support until you're walking, not reading, but at least walking. So the idea is you can uh, begin before during and after you have that safety net until you are able to spread your wings and figure out how, figure out where, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and how you're going to bring it to your, to your people. Because a lot of people come to, to yoga tr um, in transition, uh -huh. either university or from a job or, and they're, they're and look on the path of what's next and I'm trying to identify what, what does that look like for me? And I knew for me, I struggled most when I left um, with, I don't want to do, I don't want to have to go back to corporate America in order to support myself. How do mm -hmm. I make it happen here? And I didn't have those tools for my teacher training courses. Me neither. It was very thin. And so I thought, oh, how do I create that? And then we build it into this course. <laughs> that is incredible that you're offering that. That is so huge. So can you tell people a little bit about how they can work with you and your yoga school? Because I'm sure everyone literally just heard that and was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I want that kind of support. <laughs> you can find me on my Instagram page at either Yogini, Y-O-G-I-N-I underscore Mimi, M-I-N. M like Mary, I am like Mary, I. So they can find me on Instagram and Facebook underneath those tags. I'm also on LinkedIn under Mimi Adeogba for the professionals, all of my colleagues from Pharma. Adeogba is A-D-E-O-G-B-A. I'll, I'll spell it phonetically. A-Alpha, D-Delta, E-Echo, O-Oscar, G-Golf, B-Bravo, A-Alpha. And then um, our school, you can go to our website, is svadhyayayogaschool.com and svadhyaya is s like sam w like water a like alpha d like delta h like henry y like yankee a alpha y yankee a alpha and then yoga spelled y-o-g-a and school s-t-h-o-o-l.com that's so, so beautiful we're everywhere you, you need us to be. <laughs> <laughs> and tell, would you mind telling people just one more time what Swadhyaya means? 
So Svadhyaya is the fourth of the Niyamas. And the Niyamas are the self-disciplines. These are the work that we do on ourself on the path of yoga. And Svadhyaya means self-study, self-inquiry. So we're understanding ourself. At our school, we start, that's what the focus is, understanding yourself. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, I have chills. This has been such a pleasure. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sharing your story with the listeners and for agreeing to do this interview with me. I am absolutely honored and feel so blessed that you invited me onto your show. Thank you so much. I miss you. And I, it was great catching up with you. I took a walk down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. On our first time meeting. Thanks, Emily. Hey there, listener. If you enjoyed listening to Mimi as much as I have in the past and continue to enjoy in the present, <laughs> I highly, highly, highly recommend her and her yoga schools. That's Svadhyaya Yoga School. And I hope that you find ways to engage with her and her work on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and of course, on her website and maybe if you're interested in doing further study or yoga teacher training, again, she's an amazing instructor as you just heard um, her. So again, if you liked this episode, please don't forget to give us a rating, hopefully five star, <laughs> and a review and share this episode with anyone you think um, would enjoy hearing it. Thank you again for being here and for listening. And until next time, bye. bye.